welcome. You've got mail. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of TechStream, the uh, podcast that changes things in the technology industry. We do an episode. The episode was barely even published. TechStream last week, we talked about OnlyFans and what happened. The downloads grew. Suddenly, OnlyFans listened and they said, no, this Shelly Palmer guy's right. Let's change. <laughs> Let's change our whole thing. They reversed course on literally everything we said. That's amazing. Yep. Well, not on everything we nice said. To have, it's nice to have that kind of influence. It is. I mean, yes. And I'd love to take credit for that. They actually did reverse their ridiculous, and I do mean ridiculous, statement that they were going to um, ban sexually explicit content. Now, now we discussed, Seth, that the reason we thought they were doing this and the reason they stated that they were doing it was because their bankers were unhappy. Right. And what they really meant by that was not their bankers, but the financial engineers who were thinking about how to extract the most amount of value from everyone or create the most amount of value that uh, for the stakeholders felt that, for rightly or wrongly, that banning ex sexually explicit content was going to be better for the long-term health of the company. Anyone with any experience in anything that has to do with the internet would have told them and did tell them loudly and clearly, are you guys kidding? And the case study, of course, was Tumblr because Tumblr was poised to be astoundingly sure. successful and they just went the way of the dodo on the same decision. By the way, human beings haven't changed very much since Tumblr went away and OnlyFans made that choice. But they, of course, within five days reversed it, which is... Smart, I think. Now, if you remember last week, and for those of you who didn't uh, listen to us last week, shame on you. But more importantly, um, <laughs> what we talked about actually wasn't their decision. I, I almost didn't touch on it at all. What we talked about last week, and what I think we really need to still talk about this week, isn't the fact that OnlyFans will survive or will survive in the state that it's meant to be. What's important here is that when they made their choice, when they said, "Hey, we're you know we're, we're going to get uh, we're going to go straight. We're we're going to we're going to become uh, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and we're going to just you know get rid of all that nasty content." They left a gaping hole in the world, and my, the joke was, of course, hear that? That's a billion engineers typing, you know, figuring out you know how to write <laughs> a clone uh, of OnlyFans that's uncensored and on the uh, you know on the internet. And there, I, I think, what's important then and now isn't whether OnlyFans did this. What's important is that there's a new choice that could have been made by someone who was going to clone OnlyFans. So let's rewind the clock three years. Three years ago, pre-pandemic and kind of pre-Web 3.0, if you were going to clone OnlyFans, the way you would do it is you just make a direct copy of it and you'd set up the business rules that they have right now, which are, Anything goes, knock yourself out, have a nice day. Now, because OnlyFans would have self-inflicted this censorship rule, you would have had a much wider audience and a way to lure over the, uh, both the users and the creators from OnlyFans if you were going to clone it. But you would clone it in exactly the same way that it was built, Web 2.0, on a web server, you would have a, a CDN, a content distribution network. You try to edge cash the most popular. You do absolutely everything exactly the way it's been done for the past, I'm going to call it six to eight years. Now, let's be clear. 
when you make a modern website, what you're doing is you're surfacing data from a database. And the website is the way to look at that data on the World Wide Web. You might also build an app, which is a way to look at that data through the app. You might also build uh, some management tools, which had a direct line to it that you might use a browser to, to look at the data, or you might use some other tool to look at the data, to visualize the data. But in every case, you have a, a central server and you have a, a big pile of data. That data may be the videos, that data may be user information, it might be payment information. It's, clearly it is all three right. in a modern commerce website. So nothing would have been different. Nothing would have been different to clone OnlyFans. You just would have cloned it. But during the pandemic, over the last 18 months for sure, it's been around longer than this, but because crypto has gotten so much play, DeFi, decentralized finance and Web 3.0 have come front and center now. And one of the most interesting things about what you could do if OnlyFans gave you some white space would be to create a Web 3.0 version of OnlyFans. And what that means is, instead of having IP addresses for every page and for all the content, you would have content IDs. And instead of them being served from a central server, like a normal modern website, they would be um, served on a peer-to-peer -peer network. That would mean that all of the content was spread out across the universe. And so rather than have an, a specific IP address that you could find the content updated and deleted, it would be on hundreds, if not thousands of peer-to-peer -peer network nodes or servers around the globe, a very different way to think about making a website. And the most important aspect of that attribute of that methodology is the inability to censor the content, not the desire or not desire, the inability to censor the content, because once it's out there, it's out there forever. Now, of course, you could, you could attempt to delete the page, but it would not be deleted because as long as it lives somewhere, it lives. So that was really interesting to me that, that if someone took the time to build a site like OnlyFans in a Web 3.0 construct, we would be seeing a very different animal, an animal that while yes, it could be updated and you could make it, you could make it some combination of centralized and decentralized, meaning you are the owner of the site. You might even have some control over who the validator nodes would be and how you would either uh, update the blockchain. Would it be web, uh, would, it, would it be proof of work or proof of stake? How, how would you approach it? There's a much, bunch of decisions you could make, but ultimately if you decided to make this super open, I mean, super open, it would be uncensorable. And to me, that got me thinking, right? And it should get all of you who are listening thinking like, how would, what, what business value would, would something that looked like a website be to you if everything you put on it was forever and no one could mess with it? It's interesting. It's an interesting intellectual exercise, certainly a fun thought experiment. So let's play pretend for a minute. Okay. Let's, pre <laughs> let's pretend that you have your job is to invent a business where none of your content can ever be censored. Anyone can post anything and whatever is posted will last forever. What Seth Everett business would, would be good for that or what anybody's business would, would be good for that? 
Well, originally it would have been my podcast, but now I'm going to say it's just how great I've become at FIFA 21. <laughs> in, in practice, there are the, the intellectual exercise you want to do, the thought experiment you want to do is about new business models, really new business models. This is where technology that doesn't seem to be revolutionary or where innovation that seems incremental as opposed to like, wow, oh my goodness, that's a shiny new object. Here we have the most subtle of subtle differences, Seth. If you're not paying attention in class, you might not even see it. Web 2.0 to Web 3.0 is a giant leap because of the way that the information is structured and disseminated. Now here's the rub. Web 2.0 works perfectly if you are a central authority. You're not going to build a better Facebook. Facebook, first of all, has network effect, but you're not going to build better technology than that. They've got their own glass, their own servers. They've got like their end to end, their own stuff. Google's the same way. Google is all Google everywhere. So it's not like you and I are going to build a better version of that, but I could build a different version of that. And what I mean by different is the reason Facebook has all its own servers, the reason Google has all its own servers, the reason Facebook has its own glass and Google has its own glass is because they need complete control end to end of your experience. And to them, that's the most important thing. Your experience is the most important thing. Now let's pretend your experience was less important than pure openness. I believe so deeply in an open internet, in an unfiltered environment, that that was more important to me than anything else. So that means security nightmare, security nightmare, not a little bit, nightmare. Like you, you can't believe one thing you see is real. Virus nightmare. Anything that comes at you could kill you. Sure. But on the other side of that, no holds are barred. You put whatever you would, no one's there to tell you how to wear your hair, darling. You just go for it. Is there such a world that makes sense where, and don't, you know, yes, there's a, there's a min max, right? Of course, there's a middle ground where you have like semi-central. Yeah. There's plenty of ways to play with that. But can you imagine, and I'm, I'm playing pretend, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but can you imagine a world where you'd want to live in that much chaos by choice? You'd want no gatekeepers, no landlords, no, nobody watching out for you. You know, you go into the schoolyard and you haven't found the guy that's, you know, you're all in sixth grade and you're all four foot 11. And this one guy is five ten, you know, and 200 pounds. That's your best friend. Cause no one's going to mess with you. If you're hanging out with him. Like you haven't found that guy in metaphorically in the internet, everybody is the same height or smaller. Right. You, just, you have no, you have no hope of being the biggest, baddest guy in the Valley. You could just be a guy in the Valley. Like you're just a, you're an entity floating. You're, you're neither big nor small, nor important or unimportant. What, is there a world where that makes any sense or have human beings gravitated towards civility and, an, and civilization and society and societal rules and social contracts with each other and with our governments for a reason? Discuss, Professor. Well, well I, all, all I'm saying as, as we, we kind of put a bow on this, what I, what I really felt good for were the creators. Yeah. The creators now don't have to f guess on what app is better. The creators don't have to. You took it from OnlyFans perspective, and I, I get that. What I thought when I felt bad last week and I said it on the podcast last week, I felt bad for the people who are trying to earn an honest living and they now had to scramble and they weren't sure where their their rent was going to get paid for. That's, you know, I, I know you want to put my takeaway. 
I, I know you want to put a bow on it, but I, I actually want to address that for one second. Okay. The best creators were not in any peril at all because cleverly and correctly, they did not rely on OnlyFans for promotion, nor did they rely on no, OnlyFans. Instagram and TikTok right. and all the other things. Or audience building. They simply relied on OnlyFans for the utility benefit of putting up a paywall. And while it's very easy on OnlyFans to put up a paywall, they're certainly not the only game in town that'll let you charge 10, 15, 20 bucks a month on a credit card and get you paid. And so the, the creators who did not rightly and correctly just used it as a feature of their empire, if you will. Right. You know, you are a young person who is making content that people are willing to pay for. Right. They weren't beholden to OnlyFans. It was just nice and easy. And so that's great. And I think OnlyFans recognized that when they reversed course, they realized, oh, wow, we're a feature. We're not a company. We're a feature. We're like a feature they get a Stripe account and get this done. Yeah, but uh, when you know. strip clubs closed, a lot of people ran to OnlyFans. I told you the story last week about the couple that they both lost their jobs from COVID and they had no idea what to do because they had a young child. They didn't want to go out into the world. They didn't want to do Instacart and they didn't want to do Uber and they didn't, you know, they, they didn't know what to do. And they started having sex on camera. And they started making the money that they would have made had they been working. And that's the people that I think are amazing with this thing. I got to tell you, Seth, you didn't tell me that story last week, but I'm glad you told me now. Um, I don't think that's a future of mine personally for many reasons, but, but thank you for sharing. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, yeah. this, that, that story repeats itself everywhere. And you're right. A, a lot of it was fueled by the pandemic, but a lot of behavioral changes have been fueled by the pandemic. Some of them will turn around when, when you know restaurants and bars and strip clubs and theaters all reopen, some of it won't. Some of it's going to be a behavior that's changed forever. Another really important look, you know, I say it all the time, technology is meaningless unless it changes our behavior, unless it changes the way we behave. This is a behavior changing technology and right. the ability to earn money doing what you do. Hey, you know what? More power to the people. I, I, I think that's fantastic. And look, if it's not OnlyFans, it's going to be something else. I think what's important for everyone to think through, though, is that what we believe is the way things are done. Like, oh, this is the tech. This is how you do stuff. If OnlyFans has proven anything, it's proven that you can evolve your business models. You can, you can evolve new ways to earn a living. You can take your own ideas and realize value from them in a lot of, lot of different ways. In fact... Just last week, you know, Apple reversed, um, well, actually, they settled out the class action lawsuit, again, in favor of small businesses, devs who are doing yeah. under a million dollars in revenue on the App Store. And I mean, how, how amazing is that? So you, you can charge it? purchases directly to consumer and you don't have to go mm-hmm. through the, uh, the App Store. That's right. Well, well why uh, do I have all that credit at Apple now? Well, what's important also is that I think the big win for the developers, uh, aside from the money that Apple will pay in the suit, which probably won't amount to much considering the number of developers on a per developer basis, Apple used to restrict for any developer, small or large, your ability to contact your customer and say, hey, Seth, I have a purchase you can, an additional purchase you can make. Give me another X dollars and I will give you X benefit. And Apple was like, no, no, no. That's got to be in-app, and we take a cut. End of story, full stop. And in this class action lawsuit, one of the settlement 
uh, covenants was that developers can now reach out directly to their customers. And that is such a big deal. That is such a big deal. It's a big retreat for, for Apple and a giant win for small devs, right? You build a game sure. that's really cool. You're trying to build a business and Apple was charging you. I mean, it's one thing to charge you a tax to be inside the app store. And I will always push back. EA is, I never understood their lawsuit. I never understood why anyone would come at Apple and say, well, you have a monopoly. It's like, no, they have a business. They built a mall. They charge you rent at the mall. If you go to a regular mall, Seth, you and I, we're going to right. open up our own store in a mall. Generally, what happens Tech is the rent- the store. Be yeah, funny. it'd be awesome. But you'd, you'd pay low rent or, or relatively low rent, but the, you would pay a percentage of your sales to, right. the, to the mall because right. that's, what does the mall do? A, it gathers people, right? It brings people because people shop where the shopping is. They do advertising. They run events. Like they do all that stuff and they charge you some VIG for putting you in an environment. The guy across the street that's why the real estate across the street from a mall actually does as well in many cases as the mall real estate does because people kind of have to pass it to get there. But it's still not as good as being in the mall, and it's still going to be cheaper than being in the mall. Apple built a mall, and people are saying, well, you're not allowed to charge me for that. It's like, I'm sorry. Of course they are. Sure. Well, but what everybody got mad at was that Apple was draconian about you not being able to get your data or to your customers. That seemed really unfair. Look. The, the, the bottom line now is what I will worry about, and I think this is a real question, can these develop, developers scam you? Because if I trust Apple's protection of privacy, then what you're, what you're going to see as a result now is if Johnny, you know, Johnny Come Lately app uh, wants you to buy this thing to avoid ads on your, on your app, now suddenly they're asking for my PayPal address or my my credit card number. I don't know. So this and I been... know this as a parent because my kids are requesting apps all the time. And one of the neat things that Apple has is Apple has uh, you can set up a family plan where if my kid wants to buy any app, I have to approve it on my device. And don't take that out. Do you know what I'm so, saying? No. So I now do. if Roblox is going to start doing it. And, you know, my, my kid's doing Roblox on one of my computers that has my PayPal address. She can figure that out. I don't like that. That's no, now not, a pain. I liked going through Apple. I, I understand. So, and I agree with you in every way that for every reason. Apple has a developer code of conduct that is in their documentation that you sign when you start to make apps for Apple. And there's a couple of things about it that I like. In section five of their developer docs that you agree to, they have not only in the developer code of conduct, they talk about if you are uh, demonstrating misleading behavior or manipulative behavior or any kind of fraudulent conduct, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, they will just knock you out of the dev program. And they've always done that. And they're going to continue to do that. No one made them stop that. The other, in that same kind of area, they have a, I don't remember which one of the numbers it is, but there's a thing called developer identity where you have to provide verifiable information to Apple. Like you, you as a developer, you have to, you have to be you. They want your name, rank, serial number, bank account. And that hasn't changed. 
And they also have in the same uh, part of the docs, it's a, it's your integrity section. See, you have to make a commitment to maintaining customer trust at you, you as the, as the developer. And if you, if you yeah, but asking with, for someone's PayPal is not questioning the trust. Uh, if you use it improperly, they will they will come down on you like a ton of bricks. They also have some very very specific, and this has always been about a contention, some very specific app quality guidelines, right? So if you if you add in the, the you cannot mess with the experience in a way that would hurt the store or hurt the way a customer would look at the app store, and you also have to have the, your quality level to a certain quality. Apple has the right to just throw you out if you don't if you don't comport yourself like a good Apple citizen. But what's really important here is that where it was not allowed, like they just literally didn't allow you to make an offer to your customers in the past. Right. And now now you can. And I, I got to give Apple some credit for that. Um, you know, they were they were feet to the fire. The judge held them feet to the fire, the class action lawsuit. They really asked why. Why, honest to goodness, why won't you let us do this? We're not bad actors. We're here enriching the Apple shareholders. We're here making your app store more valuable. And you're telling us, and we're small businesses, and you're telling us that we got to pay a 30-point VIG on absolutely everything, no matter what we do. And you won't even let us let, like they wouldn't let you tell a customer about something else. Right. So I've gathered an audience. It's my audience, but it's not mine. It becomes yours. That's more than just charging me a VIG in the mall. That's like saying, you can never, if you have another location, you can't even tell the customer in the mall, you know, our store across town has it in stock, go over there and get it there. The, Apple re re refused to let you do that as a small business. I'm sorry. That was, that was even, that was nasty even for Apple. So that's what's gone away. And I, I have to applaud the judge and the settlement. And I know Apple isn't happy about it, but every small dev I've spoken to, uh, everybody they're who's ever made an app. They're, oh, they're, they love it. I mean, love, look. Yeah. It would have been better if they had, if they could have maybe gotten more out of it because everybody wanted more out of this. But I got to say, Seth, and I think it's important for people to know one of the big differences between the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store and Amazon's, whatever you want to call the store where they have their stuff, um, because that's kind of a free for all. Every iPhone you have either supports or doesn't support an app, but if it doesn't, it really doesn't. You don't find yourself with a user experience that's ever broken on the iPhone. And every time they push an update, all the iPhones that are eligible for that update are notified and it happens. And the developers are told well in advance, the Apple dev information is given to us in advance. You know, Apple has a really good developer, worldwide developer conference. You find out what the next iOS is gonna have in it, what the next iPad OS is gonna have in it. You, it sort of taking the fun out of, gee, what's the new iPhone gonna be like? Because you know what the software is capable of, so the hardware is gonna have to support it, right? And you know what the old hardware doesn't support. This doesn't happen in the world of Android. Some people think it's good. Some people think it's bad. With an Android device, it is very likely, it's more than likely that something that's three or four years old, if there's a new version of Android, you, are, you would really not be advised to update your device because it, it, the hardware won't support whatever the new right. uh, Android OS is going to have in it. So we, and, and there's no way for them to push an Android update the way they push an iPhone update, meaning that everybody that has an iPhone knows it's there and is available. And, and companies like Samsung, companies like um, LG were, I mean, LG's out of the phone business, but for years, you, they wouldn't update phones. Like you'd have a phone, you'd hear about the brand new Android OS, you go, oh my goodness, it's gonna be so much fun. And then it wasn't available because LG wouldn't push it. Right. But Samsung wouldn't push it for a while. It's like the, everybody was 
careful to make sure that their devices would work with the latest version. None of that happens at Apple. And the reason it doesn't happen is because Apple has what you and I would call draconian developer guidelines sure. that you really can't get past. So this is a chink in that armor okay. to, to the good of the developers. Hooray for the developers. Take that, Apple. See, the judge thinks you are a little bit of a nasty bunch. Well, Cupertino funds. <laughs> well, and then and then to put a bow on TechStream, since we were so successful in getting OnlyFans reversed, I want to go double or nothing. Uh, so I have I have a request. Um, and Apple is not going to like this. They're, they're not going to like it, but it really doesn't have to do with them. It has to do with my friends at Warner Brothers and my friends at EA Sports. Ted Lasso is one of the single greatest shows going on. And season two is actually better than season one. And what mm -hmm. it's done is it's fleshed out the characters. And most of the characters are players on their team. AFC Richmond is a fictional team, but they play in the English soccer world against real opponents. They play Tottenham Hotspur. They play uh, Manchester City. You have to put AFC Richmond as an add-on. Charge an arm and a leg for it. <laughs> you have to put it in FIFA 22. When FIFA has, when you can play a team, could you imagine being able to be Ted Lasso and play with Roy Kent and Jamie Tart and all those guys on that team against uh, Lionel Messi and, and, and Harry Kane and all the great soccer legends in England, you would make an arm and a leg. Warner Brothers, you have to get into a licensing deal with, with EA Sports. Do the deal. There you go. You heard it here first. Seth, I think that's a great idea, by the way. I'm all in. Hopefully our friends at EA uh, and Warner are listening because be Seth, well, again, Seth Everett speaks the truth. Again, it worked for OnlyFans. I said, I'm going double or nothing. Here we go. Jamie Tot did it, did it, did it. Jamie Tot did it, did it. Find something in tech, want us to change it? Just let us know. Well, this is Tech Stream. We'll see you next week.